Welcome to the On The Way podcast, a podcast exploring a non-violent, non-dualistic, compassionate faith life. My name is Dom Fay. Sue Wilton and Peter Cat are here as uh, two dogs, Peter, in the, in the podcast room with us today. That's right. We've got Harley and Oscar looking after us today. They might chime in with some special comments later on. We'll see how we go on that. Uh, but we're very lucky to be joined by Reverend Tiffany Sparks on the podcast. Thank you so much for, for making time, Tiff. Thank you for having me. Now, look, there's, there's a whole lot uh, that, you know, we could introduce you as. Uh, obviously, you're about to be the Archdeacon of Grafton uh, as we, we chat to you right now. How, a month away from that move as we record this conversation, is that about right? Yeah, a month, Roughly. just over a month, so it's, it's all getting real. And where have you been? Can you talk a bit about where you've been before then? Um, I'm at Ashgrove currently, and before that I was at The Gap. Okay, right. And you, people might know you from a few media appearances you have done. Uh, you were on the ABC show Q&A a few years ago. You've also recently featured on the SBS documentary Christians Like Us. Um, and, and I suppose that's where we wanted to, to move this conversation is representing the faith in the media, uh, you know, in, in popular culture. Because as I'm sure many um, people would, would be aware, it does seem to just be one voice of Christianity in, in modern culture and in the media. And it's one that is not uh, probably quite incongruent with most people's expression or many people's expression of, of the faith. Um, so maybe just as a starting point, uh, where did your foray into, I guess, because there's a, there's a lot of priests in the country and not many of them, you know, have uh, some activity in the media. So where did your, your interest in or, or exploration of that come from? Um, I think it has been encouraged by some of my um, well mentors uh, to have a voice and to um, you know essentially have the courage of, of our convictions and and put whatever it is that we're going to say out there. Um, uh, pragmatically, um, I got on Q and A because years earlier I sent a disgruntled letter. <laughs> <laughs> So it turns out that people, when you when you just type into the um, uh, box on their website, the contact box, and press submit, they actually do read them. Yeah, right, okay. So your disgruntled <laughs> letter as a priest yeah. made them think, hey, we need a priest. Um, I think it made them think that they needed a different type of priest. Yeah, right, okay. Um, because I think the disgruntled letter was in regards to uh, their Pell versus Dawkins debate and mm. I thought they were being deliberately polarising and, and sensational mm. and um, clearly didn't want a real conversation about uh, the topic. So we, we know that, you know, these shows obviously like to have almost pigeonhole the guests they have, label the guests they mm. have of this is the conservative mm. Christian or whatever it might be. What do you reckon up on the board when they had your picture there? What do you reckon your, your label was that they would have had? I think it was progressive Christian or, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that, do you think that's an accurate representation of, uh, I mean, it's obviously, it's hard to describe somebody and what they're passionate about in just a, a couple of words. But I, I think it is an accurate representation. Um, we sort of call ourselves progressives, but we sort of actually at the end of the day think we're quite middle of the road. So, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Um, well, I mean, it's interesting when you read about conservatives talking about progressives because I don't know if they've ever thought they've really met one. It's sort of like they're describing the boogeyman <laughs> that, you know, they don't believe in Jesus and they don't read the Bible and, and you know, they'll come and take your firstborn child. <laughs> 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 Unless you can guess their name, sort of thing. <laughs> and, and you read it, and, and I find that quite amusing and a completely uh, mm. gross misrepresentation of yeah. what progressive Christians are. Progressive Christians um, uh, believe in Jesus, love the Bible, and basically respect it so much that we want to throw everything we've got at it to find all the richness mm. instead of just reading it in a, in a s simplistic, um, uh, literal fashion. And I suppose this is the area we are moving is that need for that voice to, to get out, that there is a different way of viewing things. Um, I, I've, I was commenting when we were having lunch before this that I remember when I first met Peter and started hearing things from Richard Rohr and, and similar people um, being a bit almost angry at first mm. with the realisation that there was mm. another way to view this. Mm. That I'd never been told there was another way to view this. And, and I dare say the vast majority of probably Australians who aren't of faith are not aware that there is another way to view this. Mm. Um, they only know the, I guess, the the monotone voice, the single yeah. voice that comes out 
from yeah. the conservative wing. And that and that was a part of our motivation was, all right, well, we genuinely think that people will be more interested in Christianity if they knew that we existed. Mm. Um, and we're not a tiny sliver. Um, we're quite a, a, a large group. Yeah, and, and that, that led to, obviously, uh, Progressive Christians, uh, Progressive Christian Voice, sorry, Australia, Peter, which um, you have been heavily involved in. Can you talk about the origin of, of that? Yeah, um, Ray Barraclough uh, had the idea maybe six years ago that we needed, to, those of us who were of the progressive wing needed to stop hiding our light under a bushel and actually get out there in the public square. And so we, we launched this group called the Progressive Christian Voice, deliberately using the uh, indefinite article, it's a voice, it's not, it's not the, you know, Christian something or other, it is a voice recognising that there's a diversity of voices and that public discourse is enhanced if that variety of voices is honoured because by hearing different aspects of the Christian faith or any uh, any uh, group that represents anything, you actually develop um, a dialogical a way of dealing with things and um, it means issues can be explored and nuances can be developed and we can then uh, respond to the complexity of the world rather mm. than um, black, white, you know, A versus B sort of stuff. And so we just launched a progressive, progressive Christian voice with the idea of, well, you know, the others, the others have got their voice well established, we need to put a voice into, into the public square. Listeners to this podcast would probably be somewhat aware that, you know, the, the general um, areas we explore are often in what, what some might consider progressive areas. I don't yeah. think that would be a big surprise. Obviously, the podcast is, is for everybody, but that, that does seem to be the way that people seem to think we lean often. Yes. Do you ever take get that as a criticism? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm not aware of it as a criticism. I, and the, the thing about being progressive is it's actually about being politically progressive in response to what we think is really quite an orthodox way of looking mm. at the faith. So you know, the, other, the other day I heard that someone had dismissed the whole ministry of the cathedral by saying, oh, they're so progressive over there that, you know, if, if they decided that there were four persons in the Trinity, then, you know, that would go, you know, anything goes over there. And it's a bit like Tiffany was saying, that the straw person sort of mm. argument. Um, it's not us. Um, you know, we, we look really seriously at, at the history of theology. Um, you know, some, some of what we're arguing for is going back to even more basic sort of stuff. So as we've discussed Previously in this podcast, we we go and look for uh, writings about the Trinity that happened before the Nicene sort of takeover, where we ended up with a hierarchical nature of God, and we're lo we're looking at at um, aspects of God that are more relational and intimate and um, based in life, and we take. We take things like the incarnation really seriously, which is actually why we do what we do. We want to be progressively progressive in a political sense, and so you know, I, I, I would argue that we're being we're trying to be true and orthodox, but open to the complexity of life and how life actually challenges faith, and faith informs life. I, I think the only problem or labels are always difficult you know and the mm. only problem and i think peter's alluding to the fact that we're in what sense are we being progressive yeah. you know people you hear that word progressive and they think of it as a something onward and upward that we're they're on this sort of that it's we're we're achieving if we only keep going we're going to finally achieve enlightenment moving in a, in, in a um, different direction whereas it's it's a circling round it's a recovering our tradition but it's always about every age has the ha, has the imperative of reform in the church the the church must be constantly reforming itself and you do that by going back as much as forward so the progressive word um, is about sometimes an expansion it is certainly is about taking on the culture and the time that we're in but it's also about returning to the heart of the faith and, and the mm. and and orthodoxy yeah it's really good way of expressing it there, there is an inherent oppositional nature to it which i um, you know i imagine doesn't sit particularly well um, with anyone who, who is a fan of the non-dualistic approach mm. um, that you know the moment you uh, say we are progressives then suddenly yeah. you've you've op opposed yourself to to another yeah. 
Um, Peter, how do you handle that tension? Well, uh, it's the. It comes down to the inadequacy of language, really. I mean, we we thought long and hard about the use of the word progressive, and it does. It fails all of the things that Sue mentions. It, it's not a good word, and yet it's the only word we could find. And um, we, we do have to uh, occasionally unpack what we mean by it. And part of, part of the progressive agenda is, is actually being open to be, being in dialogue with those with whom one disagrees. And it's about actually opening up, trying to open up space and keep people uh, connected and, um, and, and as trying not to be oppositional in that sense of, you know, where we know the truth and you don't and you're, you're, you're stupid and we're wise. Um, and, and one has to constantly battle that um, tendency because that's part of how we are hardwired as human beings. And it's, it's, a, it's often about uh, naming that process. Mm. So, Tiff, if someone walked into your church and said, I dismissed the faith 20 years ago, but I've seen you on one of these media appearances and it seems to me that you view things differently, and they asked you, how would you articulate how your faith is different from maybe the what seems to be the main voice in the media? How would you be able to articulate that, do you think? Oh, wow. In a soundbite? I think you'd want to sit down and have a conversation with them. I'd first of all want to know what it is that they'd grown up with. Um, And from hearing their story, that would probably be better grounds for me to be able to say, well, this is is how we're different. Mm. Um, And a lot of the time you know when you say different uh it's only really like you know probably about five percent difference um a lot of the foundation is is quite similar it's just the the journey that sort of takes us on so um i was actually having a conversation with someone the other day about um yeah the the misnomer that progressives don't know the bible and it's like well actually it was from from reading the gospels that made me a progressive you know Mm. (laughs) um and i think people find it quite liberating um that they can take all of their disciplines and tools that they've they've learnt um in the secular world and and uh use those as lenses to unpack what what the bible actually does say to them and giving them permission to do that is automatically quite a difference actually from what a lot of people have grown up with so let's go into that Q&A panel that you were mm. on. Um, so d- what was the topic and, and who were the other guests who were on that panel with you? Okay, so the topic was church and state. Um, the other panellists were Ray Minikin, who's a Indigenous minister, um, John Haldane, who is a Catholic philosopher, uh, Julie McCrossan, who's a Uniting Church person, and Lyle Shelton, who may or may not need an introduction but at that stage was head of the ACL. Now interestingly uh, you know straight off the bat you walk into that place uh, mm-hmm. I imagine it when you saw the listing as much as you don't want it to seem this way it must have felt a bit like um well it must have felt a bit oppositional because you it, uh, inherently it's inherently that, oppositional yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the nature of the show yeah is you're there representing one side and, you know, other, someone else is on the, the panel representing another side. Yeah. Um, and do, he was, and they were put right next to me. I was sat right next to Lyle Shelton. Yeah. 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 And how do you prepare yourself for an art like that? What Going in, what did you want to, to be able to convey? Do you remember much about the, the build-up? Um, I think the big thing for me was just um, trying to get past my anxiety of what I was going to be asked because you're really not told the questions you're going to be asked in advance. Um, And, yeah, just, you know, wanting to represent my faith in a way that um, had integrity that, I mean, when I rewatch it, I actually, I hate it. Mm. I watch it and I go, oh, why didn't I say this or why didn't I say that? And I thought I was being a bit too coy at times rather than actually... um, just being clear and honest about what my beliefs were I think I was preaching to the choir so any any progressive that was watching that show would have known exactly what I was saying but any person from the secular world who maybe had an interest um a lot of it would have been lost on them yeah so 
I don't know if that answered your question at all. <laughs> but was it was it an enjoyable experience on the whole, or was it? It was. It, it was, was an enjoyable experience on the whole. On the whole. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did it teach you anything about? I suppose initially that uh, working because a lot of people would never, you know, maybe in the progressive ring would never have a conversation with someone like a Lyle Shelton from the the conservative wing. There's not much dialogue. I guess across to to use the terminology of the two camps, there's not much dialogue between the two. Um, did did it teach you anything on that front, or did it just make you less want to, to have conversations with those people? I think uh, with Lyle specifically, I remember him wanting to talk about what differences we had, um, but from conversations I'd had earlier, my aim was to talk about what similarities we had, yeah, okay. um, just to sort of you know keep humanizing myself to him. I think. Mm. Um, but it was, it was interesting. I've had a lot of conversations with conservative people in my life. Um, uh, not to sound trite or cliche, but some of my, some of my good friends are conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> and they know that I love them. I just disagree with their expression of faith. Um, um, so, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I've, I think the worst thing that we can do is shut a conversation down. Um, I'd like to, to keep the conversation going at all times. So um, it certainly taught me a lot about how uh, uh, people react to Q&A. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, this is, I suppose, another interesting thing to touch on here is because you did go on representing uh, a voice of maybe the Christian faith that isn't heard publicly very often. Mm. Um, and, and you copped a fair bit of hate from it. Was it, was the hate that you received mostly from conservative Christians or yeah. from atheists? Um, oh no, uh, I, I think when I, when I stupidly Googled my name, right, because <laughs> admit it, we've all done it. Uh, <laughs> um, I found some atheist forums and it's like, oh, won't she just shut up? And I wanted to just, you know, like post on there yeah my husband probably thinks that too but you know no tiffany no just don't engage um pretty sure i was on a zionist website for okay. one you know um all right wow you know they read probably more into what i was saying than what i really said um i mostly got really good feedback but there was some pretty hardcore stuff from very conservative christians um, on uh, oh, that I was a painted woman and I should wear sackcloth and ashes and um, some pretty horrible tweets that I just couldn't even say um, and you know I'm not exactly I'm a I'm I'm the daughter of an infantryman so it's not like I haven't heard certain words before uh, but they were pretty pretty horrible tweets um, trying to correct my theology on um gender and sexuality um i got a diatribe on uh the gay agenda um that essentially accused um uh, anyone who was on the lgbti spectrum of of being pedophiles and um uh rapists and um i had pictures of people burning in hell sent to me i had a letters um my favourite one was a five-page letter where um, someone was telling me about the gay diseases that the gay community deliberately spread to women and children. Um, but two women, women together were okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, deliberately spread it to women and women children. Women and children, even though yeah, they're gay yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But um, at the end of the five pages, which I skipped through, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's like, but two women together is fine. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, buddy. Um but I think, because um, I reflected with, with Peter about it, that it was an important insight because you think, well, you know, this is just a glimpse into um, that, that world of hate that I forget sometimes is there. Mm. Um, and it's important to be reminded. So it didn't, didn't crush my spirit or, or distress me. It was like, wow, thank you for showing me that because otherwise I didn't know that was there and that, that was horrible and, and I needed to see it. 
And what's interesting about that is that often those same people also the ones who are crying about the persecution of Christians in Australia. Yes! And, and I always find it ironic because in the same breath, I think, you know, the only persecution I've ever experienced in Australia as a Christian is from other Christians. Yeah, You know, yeah. this kind of stuff yeah. that you're yeah. describing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Me too. I've been, I've been told I'm going to hell a few times. Yeah, I'm, I'm spawn of Satan, so <laughs> I've, I've done very well. Well, Peter, I'm guessing, obviously, with your public stances, you've taken on a number of occasions about what might seem somewhat progressive things, yep. y- you would similarly have some stories of... Yeah, the troll... I've, I've, when we declared sanctuary, I had um, five death threats in the first day. Wow. All, all for just wanting to keep kids safe. Five death threats. Um, you know, I was very fortunate that my PA was uh, sort of filtering stuff, but and it was really traumatic for her because she a couple of times she came in ashen and just said, you don't want to read what what this one says and we had you know we had to go through the through the um protocol of of keeping all of those things um getting them assessed to work out whether the, whether there was any true physical danger um uh, it isn't as tiffany says it's a real eye-opener to realize just what is out there in um the real world the, and 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 how many of those manifestations, how, how much of that is actually coming from people who would declare that they're followers of the God of love? Mm-hmm. So how does that happen? What, 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 what could lead a person? Because I, I'm sure you see a lot of theology you disagree with on sure. TV or on, yeah. you, know, you read an article or something, but I don't think you know, you're typing away a death threat that no, night. No, no. It, it just shows how um, deep um, conviction is and how how troubling a threat to that conviction can be that people you know there is a saying that if whatever you're prepared to die for you're prepared to kill for and um and and you know for for and in surprising ways you know i would have thought declaring sanctuary for refugees was you know a fairly marginal issue in one level um but for some people it's obviously such a threat to who they understood themselves to be and what Australia was meant to be for them, that um, those sort of actions for them were an attack that they had to defend to the death. Mm. Uh, And I I, I honestly don't understand it, but I've had to come to terms with it. And, And somehow for it to be put through a Christian lens. It just it just shows how troubling some of the dualistic approaches to faith are that 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 um, people need to consign other people to hell or to label them as satanic. Um, you know, not even I'm okay with the letters that say, um, you know, dear Peter, you're very much mistaken and you're a fool. Um, that's very different to um, because you hold this view, you're going to burn in hellfire forever, or you're even you know the spawn of Satan. I think really sums it up. The idea that somehow I am a satanic product uh, out to destroy the world mm. is a real, real, um, real challenging way of looking at the world. Well, we, and you we can see how jihad type conflicts where people want to kill each other um, break out in, in within religions and between religions and um, and across other groups in society mm. I mean I, I mean obviously we're talking today about why there isn't much of a an alternative Christian voice I guess in the in the public sphere why someone with no church background you know who maybe lives in the suburbs would never have heard that this interpretation of faith which might be life change well may probably would be life changing for them why they've never even heard it exists and I think now we're probably touching on one of the reasons that they don't hear it much because this seems to be you know it would be very understandable if off the back of Q&A Tiff you decided all right, that's it. I'm just going to do my... I'm going to go to my church and be with my friends and family. I'm not going to step into that sphere again after that. Was that was that ever something that, that made you think I'm, I might be done with? I, I don't want to... Rep, I don't want to be in that, that sphere anymore? No. No, I never... The, the, the hate didn't turn you no. away at all? No. In fact, I think the hate spurs you on sometimes. The, 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 the bit that's hardest to handle, I think, is not the online trolls. It's the fact that every congregation has people who hold those views 
and they can be very vociferous <coughs> and they can be very divisive and it's quite understandable why a lot of clergy in the end uh, sort of observe a silent a silence that sort of holds the status quo because you know, every every time um, one talks about something like climate change relates it to faith refugees indigenous issues uh, support for this or that group even if you're even if you're really working on the project of we'll invite these people into the room and these people into the room and these people into the room and Acknowledging that there are people who aren't going to like the fact that you've invited that group or that group, or you're acknowledging gay people, but um, there there are people who push so hard and so determinedly to 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 demand silence that many priests just buckle, and often they're the people with money too. Um, you know, so you end up with these threats of "I will withdraw my money, I won't come anymore." And success is, success is judged by the number of people in your church. So all of those pressures uh, lead people to take the path of least resistance. So it's, 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 it's the resistance from within that is the hardest bit and the bit we really need to encourage other people to be brave enough to face because you know, if, if someone leaves over the fact that you've declared sanctuary for refugees, which, which did happen here... Um, the reality is that uh, 12 more people arrived because we actually were standing for something. Um, mm. And even if that hadn't, uh, we didn't do it for that reason. We didn't do a calculus up front saying, oh, this will be a net gain of 10. <laughs> um, but, but to be brave enough to, be, to have that integrity, to take the risk and to see what fruit it bears, even if it's just the fruit of actually being true to the faith. But there's a huge pressure on people to be silent. Huge there pressure. Is, there is. And it's mm. in um, just following on with what you said, it's the long game as well. Mm. Realising that, um, sure, that one person might leave over the sanctuary issue, but um, now over the next few years, it's, it's you know, uh, slowly changing the culture of how people see the, the cathedral and the mm. cathedral community. Um, you know, at St Paul's, it's it's taken quite a few different um things that um and yeah we had a couple of people leave i think you know um but now the the influx of of, of different people uh, and the reasons why they've come to the church you know is, is really interesting um we did some confirmations and receptions over easter and it was really lovely to hear um all these people talk about why they've they've come to the anglican church and and st paul's and they're like well you know um i never thought that you could have um something that would be a beautiful liturgy but also you know contemporary and and um, powerful theology that compels me to you know act differently in the world um, that's yeah, progressive basically. Mm. Uh, they never thought it existed, mm. and I think that, um, that's a common experience from probably. It's almost like if if we wiped the slate clean of people's preconceptions about religion and started from scratch, mm. I think there's a lot of people who'd be like, "Oh wow, okay, mm. that's there. I had no idea that was there." Mm. Uh, because that was certainly my experience, and I imagine a lot of our listeners as well. Is that sort of where who was hiding that? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. where were they hiding it? And and yeah, the reality is that um, a lot of a lot of priests are scared that they'll lose members of their congregation, or they'll lose viability, or or they'll um, lose friendships, or or get in trouble in some way. That there's there be dragons, you know, <laughs> uh, and they can name their own dragons. Um, but that's. That's sort of the seduction of being mm. quiet, isn't it? It is yeah. the seduction of being quiet. And I think that the fear, it's, it's, it's an insidious thing. It happens very slowly sometimes. Mm -hmm. and you, you kind of just drift into this sort of beige territory where, you know, and for me I know it is when someone has had a big dummy spit they've written, you know, and, and they've loudly, loudly left the church because they didn't like me raising climate change with this situation. 
you know, and, you know, and I, and as much as I was like, well, that's not going to change my mind. You can just have this creeping kind mm. of, oh, I'll just tone that down just a little bit. Mm. And it can be a slow attrition. And it was just a lesson for me in how um, fear is so much the wrong motivation for mm. anything. If mm. it's going through a lens of fear, we're going to end up completely in a nothing beige place where we don't stand for anything. We're actually not living out the gospel at all. Mm. You know, so I had to take a deep breath and go back and go, well, you know, what, what am I actually doing here? What am I seeking to live out? Mm. Um, and I think that to resist that temptation is one of the greatest challenges for mm. all clergy today. Yeah. Mm. If, I've, if I've given a, a particularly like challenging sermon like that, I like to use Thanksgiving number five then, just for me, you know, where he frees us from hate and fear, from everything that destroys love and trust. Mm. And I do that more for me. Yeah. Of, and this is why I've just, you know, said what I've said. Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> Remember. Yeah. We have okay. to preach to ourselves yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Peter, you, you said before, and I don't know if this was on the podcast or in a, a message of yours, but you've described, um, I think, indifference as a modern form of violence uh, or non-action mm. as a form of action yeah. in a sense. Yeah, that's mm. right. Um, and, and I suppose that does tie into to this uh, whole area in a sense is that um, yeah. that actually not saying anything is saying something. That's right. Yeah, to to not act is to act. Um, to not not intervene when a, burn, a building is burning down is to let it burn down. Um, and so it is to choose for the destruction of that thing. Mm. Um, and, and that's why we did adopt the idea of being progressive Christian voice to remind ourselves that it's about being politically involved because you can't be politically uninvolved. Yeah, and that's so, that's such a key point to touch yeah. on. I think. So you're either you're either a supporter of the status quo or you're a change agent. Yeah, mm. there are only two options. <laughs> yeah, I grew up with, um, and I don't want to sound like you know dualistic, you know, thinking, but take the symbolism, which is um, the devil owns the fence too. Yeah. So, and that was something that probably stuck with me since I was about ten years old. Right. Okay. All right, you've got to... Yeah. You can't be Switzerland yeah. on this one. Sorry, Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you... My apologies to any Swiss uh, <laughs> listeners. Well, and and you know, if you think about it, climate change is the ultimate expression of this. Um, most people are choosing not to do anything because it's too hard or it's politically mm, complex or it's scary. Or the grief. Or, or the grief and all those other things that are at play. And here we are just sil silently mm. like frogs sitting in boiling, you know, waters yeah. being increased in temperature, lambs going to the slaughter. We are just silently, quietly drifting into it mm. as if not acting mm. is an option. Mm. And by not acting, by not speaking about it, by churches not... You know, proclaiming the faith about the planet being a gift and therefore we have to safeguard it. By not doing those things, we are aiding and abetting our own destruction as well as the destruction of everything else. You know, we've had just the last week that really quite troubling um, report from the UN about a million species being at risk and the whole ecosystems collapsing. And... The great bulk of people are just opting for the status quo as if as if by not doing anything, nothing will happen. Whereas by not doing something, something really big is happening around us. And I think people feel insignificant to Yes, I'm sure change. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like, well, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. and even on a, an Australian level, I've heard people yeah. say, well, we're, we're just Australians. Yeah. You know, we have such a small population in regards to yep. the global stage. So what, what can we, what possible impact could we have? Yeah. So therefore, inaction. Yeah. Mm. I think that was on uh, a, a, what was meant to be a, a funny scene, a bit on one of the the conservative TV networks recently in Australia, where I think it might have been Alan Jones had a grain of rice and said, you know, if the world is this table, this grain of rice is Australia's carbon pollution to the planet. Essentially, I, I, yeah. I believe his argument was meant to be. So why are we spending so much money on it? Doesn't yeah. even matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, and people have responded to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it, it essentially, I suppose it, it absolves a, us. Yeah, it's like, oh well, we don't need to worry. Yeah. You can go about enjoying your day, and it's someone else's fault if it all goes wrong. 
But I think this is a part of the imperative on on the church and for any Christians is to always speak out on behalf of the most vulnerable. And in this case, and the ones who don't have a voice, in this case, it's the planet, you know. Um, but there's also the case um, for engaging with public media on issues like the mainstream world would think it's a nonsense that women couldn't be ordained. But I know when I was in denominations that didn't ordain women, how desperately I needed um, men to speak out. Not just me. And I know for my friends who are diverse in gender and sexuality, they need straight people to speak out so that they're not always banging their own drum. You know, so there is uh, that advocacy that we have, whether it be for the planet, whether it be whoever is society may be pushing or the church may be pushing to the side. You know, the gospel will always call us to greater courage to speak on their behalf. So uh, you, you did mention the various denominations you've been through, which have come up on the podcast before, where I, I you know, can imagine you have often felt, um, I suppose, maybe some of the hate that we were speaking about earlier mm-hmm. coming in your direction. You've often felt almost up against it mm-hmm. um, constantly. Mm-hmm. It, ha- what's kept you going? Oh, look, I think you get a touch of the gospel and, you, and it doesn't let you go. You know, um, for me, I had, I still like put, um, apart from I had a lovely childhood experience of faith in the Methodist Church, but I, I had a, a, a experience in the Baptist Church that was this transcendent experience, and that remains this touchstone for me of um, an encounter with God that was a um, much more like a, a touch in a love affair, a, a, an experience of grace, and a closeness and an intimacy that that held me, and that I still look back at that moment and go, that was true. That was absolutely true. The sense of Christ within remains a truth. So the problem uh, along the way, you, you've got to work it out. And you, you, For me, I, I swallowed everything hook, line and sinker and then went, oh, you know, this is not life-giving and had to shed some things. And, and But it kept me on that quest because it was true. So I think uh, for those anyone who hasn't had that kind of life-giving encounter, when they only hear the perception in the public media mm. of Christianity, it seems like a whole lot of wowserish people trying to tell them that, that life shouldn't be any fun and um, try to, trying to also actually seeming to speak out against those who most need our support. You know, it actually seems to be the inverse of the gospel sometimes. So if you haven't had that kind of life-giving experience, then I can see why it would be easy to judge the church. Another area in all of this uh, outside of, because obviously not all, all of us will have the opportunity to go on a TV show or on, on the radio to talk about it, but everyone pretty much does exist in the social media space now, and uh, that can be a very uh, tricky area on this. I know that, um, you know, when the tragedy in Christchurch happened earlier this year, there were a lot of um, Christians who were quite angrily, conservative Christians quite angrily posting about that. One of the more unusual trends that began was that they were posting articles about massacres that had happened to Christians that were actually years ago, as if suggesting, well, why is the media not paying any attention to this one? Um, or almost a, a, we are the victims here, stop letting someone else be the victim mentality. And that does seem to be the dominant conservative Christian approach that, that I certainly can experience in my, in my own social media feeds. Um, and like many people listening, I, f- I find that really difficult. You, the temptation's always there to unfollow people or unfriend people. Um, They'll never know if you unfollow them. <laughs> That's very true. Facebook's handy feature of unfollowing. But but when that is out there, you know, sometimes, and I know uh, my mum, anyone who, who's ever met my mum would know she's one of the kindest and most gentle humans to ever exist, but it reached a breaking point with her. She just posted this this thing about about how uh, heartbreaking it was to see that the, the response to, to violence and suffering and loss wasn't compassion, but was almost, we'll argue, back then. Um, and I imagine that's how many people feel on social media. So, Tiff, how do, how do you navigate that social media space where those are the, I guess, where that is the dominant conservative Christian point of view? How do you navigate that? How do you, how do you stay sane with, when you're going through your timeline, maybe, is a better way to phrase the question? Um, I, I have a general policy of don't feed the trolls. Um, so I think that happens probably more on Twitter where you get people, um, just sort of, you know, in their 200 and something characters you get now, think that that's a great way to, you know, just throw a pithy little insult out there or, um, try to discredit you in some way. And I just completely ignore it because, uh, reacting, um, is what they want actually. Um, 
and it gives them further platform to expand and expound on what they're saying and the same thing on Facebook. And look, my Facebook is a public page. So anyone can see everything that I, I put on Facebook because, you know, you, you're deluded if you think that you've got any privacy on there. <laughs> so, you know, in our family, there's sort of the, the mentality of anything you put on Facebook, you've got to be willing to yell from the mountaintop. Um, anything you put on social media, um, yeah, it's, it's already out there and you can't stop it. Um, if people are posting stuff to my timeline that's full of hate, look, I, I have no, um, I have no worries at all actually about going and, and deleting that comment and hitting the defriend button yeah. in my brain. I'm like, thank you for self-selecting off of my Facebook page. <laughs> you know, you can put whatever you want on your Facebook page, but don't be putting it on mine. And, and it's gone now because my Facebook page is not a platform for you to, you know, um, propagate your, your hatred. So done. But if people want to engage um, in a respectful way of and, and bring up a different opinion, that's that's another story. I'm happy for them to do that. But sometimes you've got to watch out for all the different uh, rabbit warrens that they want to take you down. Um, Nothing was ever solved in a Facebook comment. Thing. No, 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 no. And I think um, I just know, didn't, it, I've got a husband who has a scorched earth policy, so... <laughs> Hey, let me let me show you the scorched earth that I prepared for you earlier, wife. And here is the salt that I am now putting on the ground, so nothing can ever grow from here again. <laughs> Thank you, husband. <laughs> and you were very witty. <laughs> it, it does. It, but to me, it would eat me up all the time if yeah. I were in those arguments. I just yeah. no, I can't do it. Someone wants to do it to me face to face. Yep, that's a different story. Once again, happy to do that, but not on Facebook. They're and exhausting, I've, aren't they? Yeah, and I've got a real issue with putting like sometimes stuff in writing because people can take it out of out of context, mm. um, which is much harder to do if you're saying something to someone in person. I suppose a, a complexity though that you might know, Sue, having gone through different traditions, is there'd be people you would count as friends from throughout your life, not just you know someone you met once at a at a dinner or something, but but people who have maybe been good friends along the journey, um, who hold very different views to you, and suddenly you're seeing this person who means a lot to you posting something that you might think is abhorrent, and and I, ex- I imagine that's an experience that a lot of people who've maybe moved throughout their Christian journey would would know uh they don't want to press the unfriend button because this person's been a big part of their life but geez it's getting hard to to keep them in there what do you do oh sometimes i think for me i I, i'm tempted but um it's a healthy reminder because i i'm in this lovely zone now where i've got so many wonderful friends who um i agree with on so many things and it's such a temptation to stay in my echo chamber so i tend to leave them there solely for the purpose of, and, and they're not hateful people, you know, they're, so they're not going to, I'm sure they take a deep breath when they read some things I write um, and probably pray for me and, and I need that too. Um, so, but I, I just read and I go, that's right, I'm, mine is not the only opinion and um, I, I guess more alarming is, and, and what I struggle with with social media, is that instead of being, you know, mainstream, well, the old media of the old school where everything was fact-checked, where you had other people checking before things were published, mm. you know, now we all have that capacity to just publish whatever and say it as fact and I I struggle when some of the people on my Facebook page say things that are you know particularly climate change is the topical one at the moment they say you know put out that that you know supposedly scientific data that is such so wrong and you know it's that question of do I engage here you know um, because there's, there's so much that is on our social media platforms that that is just nonsense so how do you know when to engage What's your metric? Oh, it's generally time, to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> right. Do I have time for this in my life? Um, because if I'm going to engage, I've got to be prepared to give a little bit of time. Occasionally, something will trigger me to an extraordinary degree that I go, no, that matters, that that's there and no one's challenging it. That really matters. And I mm. decide to put some time in it. But it's actually a rare thing, to be honest. Most of the time I go, um, I've got other things I'd rather be doing with my day right now. <laughs> So, Tiff, alongside your Q&A appearance, you've also been involved, your church, in a, in a few stunts, uh, such as being the, the first church in Australia or the world? Uh, in Australia. And the first church in Australia to accept... Mainstream. 
mainstream church in Australia to, to accept um, Bitcoin donations, Bitcoin offering, yeah. um, which were made a bit of media uh, a little while ago. And then there was also Repent for Lent. Can you talk a bit about what, what that was and the origin of, I guess, the desire to, to, to have something that expressed an alternate voice? Um, well, I guess uh, with Repent for Lent, um, it sort of it, it evolved over a few different conversations I was having with people. Um, one I remember particularly... Uh, was one of my cousins who was saying, oh, you know, if only I, I, it was more out there that this is what some Christians believe and, and um, there's always that criticism of, of progressive Christianity isn't relevant or Christi- Christianity isn't relevant and you're like, um, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it really does inform a lot of your positions. Then sort of coming home and having a big chat with my husband and, um, you know, we've got six kids between us. And, and one of the things that, you know, uh, kids are always told these days is, yeah, um, be careful what you put online because what you put online is going to be there forever. And it's sort of like, well, what, what do we want to say to the next generation? What, what do we want to put of ourselves online in that global community that is going to be preserved and, and people can see for the future? Um, and it sort of evolved from there that Repent for Lent was an opportunity for people to express their lamentations about um, uh, social and political policies and, and our current culture and to, you know, especially ones that are going to impact the next generation and the generation after that, to say actually we were listening, we were paying attention um, and we were using our voice in some way. Uh, to try to create change. So it's just even for that one person to have that agency, um, to be able to put something online uh, to say this is an issue that I see that's going to affect us. Um, so it, it revolved around the good old sign holding thing because it was a few years ago now where you'd say I'm sorry for and most people the topics were, yes, asylum seekers and climate change and marriage equality and the way we see uh, the mentally ill and um, how we treat the homeless. And, um, yeah, there was some really powerful stuff that was sort of put out there that was quite humbling, actually. That um, And then people, like, it, it became a real ecumenical thing that um, it went from uh, posts of people that I knew uh, to I don't even know who this person is and they're now posting to the to the timeline. And um, I think in that first year it went to 30,000 people. Hmm. Um, I think we were all repented to Lent to death a little bit for a while there. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, we bought the domain name and created the, the logo and um, it's now there, I guess, for the rest of Facebook history. <laughs> so... And what seems uh, consistent throughout all of this is your desire to try to spread this outside of the, you know, the the confines of those who are aware of it. Um, actually, actually, you know, kind of kind let people know that there is another way of viewing things. And there's a lot of people who found this sort of theology, who've discovered it, you know, uh, who haven't taken that that avenue, who've decided I'll go to a monastery, or okay, I'll just let this inform my daily life in my community who haven't felt the desire to, uh, like, to, to spread the thing. Why, where do you think the desire to spread the, the news comes from in you? Well, I, I think for me, just the way I was raised, that um, I was always encouraged to have not just an opinion, but an informed opinion. And, um, yeah, you know, going back to the courage of, of your convictions, that if, if I'm going to, to say this in, in a room with, with three people, then I've got to be prepared to to say it to the whole world. It's that good old, you know, gospel thing of, of be prepared to don't just whisper in the darkness. You've got to yell it out in the light, shout it from the rooftops. Mm. Um, yeah, don't hide your light under a bushel. And I guess going back to what Peter was saying before, um, seeing so many people who are crippled by, by fear and anxiety um, and they're too worried about actually going out and saying this stuff, but they want to. They actually want to. Um, my big thing that sort of drives me is let me take that fear away from you. Um, <laughs> I can hold that for you. <laughs> and, and maybe that will change then the way you act in the world that, that you now might feel empowered to, to go out and spread this as well. I suppose part of the complexity in all of this, which is worth touching on, is the inherent difficulty to, to communicate very complex, deep 
um, theological perspectives or insights <laughs> in in what is very much a soundbite culture, yeah, yeah. Um, which you, you would have found on on Q and A. You know, basically you you more or less being asked to communicate a very mm. complex, deep, mysterious thing. In how long did they give you for an answer? About a minute or so. Oh, a minute. I remember um, um, asking them, "Look, could you just for the first question not not make me the first person to have to give an answer? Like, <laughs> just give me a moment. You don't even you you yeah. If you're the first person asked, you don't even have thirty seconds to think of the answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess like just thinking about what you were saying, asking before, um, yeah. When when I had Tom so young. Um, so I was 16 when I had Tom, 15 when I was pregnant, I had so much criticism that was leveled at me, like so much that your life is now ruined and, and everything's now down the toilet for Tiffany's life. And I, I guess it's sort of, you know, that was a little bit of a rock bottom for me at that stage. Um, so anything above that is sort of gravy now that it, sort of t- it takes away a lot of your fear. Yeah, do, when you're you, like, do your worst. Yeah, yeah. 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 I remember sitting in a, um, a conservative uh, Christian church and I was, I was told that, you know, and I'm like eight months pregnant at this, this time and, and the pastor got up and he's like, Young women, watch out! Satan will come to you in the form of a young man, and 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 then you're going to fall pregnant, and then your parents are going to kick you out, and you're going to turn to drugs, and then you'll kill yourself. <laughs> and I remember I looked at my dad, who was wearing his collar at the time. I'm like, so dad, um, like, how do we want to play this out now that we know, <laughs> you know what the future holds? Um, and I guess for me that it's like, well, no, I've seen what people think the worst of of my life could have could have been and it's it's never that unless you let it mm. um so that probably is one of my main drives of yeah no <laughs> turns out a lot of the things that people try to make you afraid of um to silence you or to cripple you mm. aren't real um and and you have the power to to create that change so mm. So then looking at, I guess, the, the soundbite sort of culture, how, maybe I'll, I'll ask you this one, Sue. How do you think, you know, when you look at, at, at the, the deep insights and um, that, that do come out of this, you know, what, what we always refer to as the mystery of faith, how do you communicate that? You know, when someone wants a 20-second clear answer. Oh, look, I, I think that's really difficult. And I think it played out the very start of this conversation. You're, you know, you're asking Tiffany uh, mm. about her faith and how she would present it, really. And, and, and she said, well, I'd actually start with asking the person who's speaking to me because fundamentally we, it, this is relational um, and it's slow work and it's not something that can be captured in sound bites well. So that's a real challenge for the church. So for starters, particularly in this culture where we have, uh, I mean, you know, and thinking about Repent for Lent, um, I was thinking as you were talking about how even though a lot of the sign holding has gone away for the, for people, we're still doing the animal sign holding thing, aren't we, on, on Facebook? We're still doing the, you know, the dog with the sign around its neck saying, I ate all the presents under the Christmas tree, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing, you know, and they go absolutely viral. And, and I love the thought that if aliens ever visited, they'd, they'd see what we, we have this amazing, powerful mass communication tool and we're using it for things like that. You know, we, I watched a, a, a clip just the other day of, of a teddy bear um that a small beagle puppy had got inside the teddy bear and um so it looked like the teddy bear was slowly giving birth to this this <laughs> beagle puppy and every so often it was it was writhing around and, and the little little beagle puppy would crown between the teddy bears like that. And, and i sat there and thought i've just spent you know 10 seconds of my life watching this you know the 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 capacity of mass media to do this and so that's a real problem for the church that we if we engage with this stuff we can be seen as dumbing it down or we can be seen as selling out um and it's such a uh, and how do we grab how, how do we actually wisely use the media to point people we can't we can't encapsulate the message in a soundbite but what we can do is maybe point to a doorway you know it's just the same way an icon can you know in a in a in a glance start to show you that there's something deeper to go into there's a, a an a, an entry point for hey that's and i think repent for lent was a really good example of that mm. of bringing up this this process this uh time of lamentation and starting to look forward to uh if we look back what would we see 
um, that we are, um, are the critical issues of our time. And, and, they, and I think it, it wasn't the sum total, but it's a way we can use social media to point towards something deeper. And I suppose on that front, Peter, when you're speaking about Sanctuary maybe losing use of members but some others came along, it was the Sanctuary movement which was how I initially found out about you and, and your work and uh, I, I invited you to my church, my Lutheran church to speak and that's how uh, I got to, to know you and, and obviously which has led ultimately to, to this podcast. Yep. So there is a sense in which if you if you... Well, there is going to always be backlash if you take a stance for something that is in any way going against, well, power, mm. the status quo, all these sorts of things. You're going to get backlash. Yeah. But you're also, there's probably a, well, not probably, there are a hell of a lot of people who are like looking for this. Sure. You know what I mean? So yeah. do, do you feel it sort of is your responsibility to to be the, uh, some, or to like point maybe not be the beacon but point to yeah, the beacon be, point and uh, yeah and i think the way we do that is is through uh, symbolic action so you know the sanctuary movement really took off because of a picture of kids sitting in the middle of the cathedral holding the the picture the photos of the of the children who were at risk of being sent to Nauru and people standing around them with lit candles that that image spoke to lots of people um, saying things on social media in a pithy way that are the things that people are not expecting one to say. So, you know, during the marriage equality debate, standing there with a, a sign that says, I believe in equality, dressed as a priest, um, church as a background. So, so thinking about how we do stuff in symbolic ways, um, lots of, you know, over the last few years, um, we've reclaimed... Palm Sunday rally is a rally for peace with lots of Christian involvement. Um, so really strong symbolism there. So, and, and the great thing about the faith is we have these really powerful symbols and powerful images of washing feet and stuff like that, which, which are absolutely ripe for social media. So a good image and a Desmond Tutu quote or, uh, you know, or I stand for equality or I repent on, I regret the fact that we didn't deal with climate change as a repent for Lent statement. I, th I think we can uh, use the sound bite, if, if you like, as a way of pointing people to something deeper. And mm. so, you know, um, we get a lot of people writing in talking about how they found this podcast and they found it because someone pointed them to something that one of us had done mm. and that they thought oh that's not what I would expect and so they've followed which is the great thing about is the great thing about the internet is once you start thinking oh that's piqued my interest you can you can follow it and to find um, find something like this podcast as a resource and and it grows from there so I, I think we do have uh, incredible capacity to use social media uh, not in a trite way, but in a profound way that is clear and simple, mm. not simplistic, simple. I know that obviously um, many people might know Rob Bell is a trailblazer and I guess providing an alternate message of, of Christianity. I know a criticism that was made of him a lot about a decade ago was that he's just making the gospel palatable. Um, that was what he was always, critics sort of the conservatives would say, you're, you're dismissing the hard truths of the gospel and just making the whole thing palatable. What's, what's your response to people who view it that way? I think they should read it again. <laughs> <laughs> Like the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Why, why should they read it again? Um, because I don't think what we are serving is palatable, um, clearly by their reaction to it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it is challenging, and I think um, uh, I mean one of the the things that's sitting in the back of my mind. I think it's wicked to to think it is um, that yeah. There's a real trap of falling into Pharisaical Christianity that a lot of people find themselves falling into. And at the end of the day, who did Jesus have the biggest problem with? Mm. You know, was the man made for the Sabbath, or was the Sabbath made for the man? You know, uh, and they're like, no, we're pretty sure the man was made for the Sabbath. 
Hmm, no, I think I think if you read it again, yeah. you'll find out that it's supposed to be life giving, not life limiting. So yeah. you know, maybe that's where they think that it's more palatable because it's so that's life giving. So that's a pretty easy pill to swallow then, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think you'll find it's more complicated than that, Tiffany. Mm-hmm. I think you'll find it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is at the same time in the, you know, it demands courage of you and it demands you to, um, you know, put yourself in, in risky and, and sometimes dangerous mm-hmm. situations. And, um, yeah, it demands you to, to speak out for those who are being oppressed and um, who are on the outer and who aren't being nourished um, and it questions those who are <laughs> mm. being nourished and on the inner and, and exclusion, exclusionary. And sometimes it results in some pretty awful tweets. Some, oh, I, mm, really bad that I, I remember I copied and pasted them all onto a, a sheet just so I didn't have to, to tell people what they said. Mm. All right, you want to know what they said? Here we go. I'll just show you what they said. Because it was that bad that you think, how can people say things like that that just oh, turns your blood cold? I suppose it shows that the the need to keep speaking, though, is always there. Yeah. Um, the moment everyone yeah. tweets back and says, yeah, no, we're on board now. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, what have I done wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast today, Tiffany, and all the best with the move to Grafton. Thank you. Pleasure. And we will be back with another episode of the On The Way podcast shortly.